You're listening to Confident Chaos Podcast with Dr. Tiffany and Lawyer Lisa. Listen as we talk about anything and everything that you know to be your truth. Welcome back, everyone. We are now in episode 21, and Dr. Tiffany and I today are joined with Dr. Michael Patrick Acton, and we are so excited to introduce him to our podcast and have him talk to you guys about an interesting topic that I believe affects everyone. And it's our last episode of season one. Oh my gosh. And don't ask me why we just decided that this was the last episode of season one. Well, I know why, because we have an amazing finale today. Okay, we'll do that. And on top of that, we're taking a little bit of a break. We're taking a week break, so it's a good time in between seasons to take a little break. We always talk about self-care, right? That's true. And it's really important. So we're going to talk about a lot of self-care today. Yes. So, Dr. Michael Patrick Acton, welcome to our podcast. How are you? Good. Nice to be here. Thanks for asking me. Absolutely. So I want to introduce you to our audience, and then I promise I will be quiet for a couple minutes and let you talk, because I do not know a lot about this subject. But today, we are here to talk about narcissism and codependency. Mm -hmm. And I want to introduce our audience to your most recent book, Narcissism and Codependency, Walking You Away from Toxic Relationships. (laughs) Very important subject. Dr. Tiffany approves. Okay, everyone. Very important. But before we say anything, I need to properly introduce you. Sure. So Dr. Acton has a bachelor's of education, a master's of education in psychology with honors, a master's degree in counseling psychology, and a doctorate in counseling psychology. And you started most of your private private practice in London City University at London Clinic in Earl's Court. Correct. Did I leave anything out as far as your degrees themselves? No, no, I, um, I had a busy time. I was a single parent too. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes it way more complicated mm. and a little bit more chaos. She right? taught me a lot. She did? Yeah. I'm glad you can say that. I don't see any type of passive aggressiveness in your voice <laughs> at all. And I'm sure the audience doesn't hear it at all. He's also written another book um, on a similar subject narcissism and codependency both sides of the coin but today guys we're here to talk about narcissism and codependency but one more thing i have to share more about you because this is important and it helps i think our audience understand about this book not only is he a doctor and a psychologist but dr acton also worked in drug and alcohol dependency units he worked at the outpatient pain and disability management department he's been a trainer a consultant an author a teacher a support to nursing staff, and now is doing relationship therapy, and you have your private practice. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's a busy life. It's, uh, it keeps me busy. It keeps me honest. But a happy life, right? Yes, very. Absolutely. Very. So tell us a little bit about this subject to open it up, narcissism and codependency. Well, what I tell patients when they first see me or what I teach people is basically we have to find a voice. Everyone needs to find a voice, and we need to find out where that voice is coming from. Um, People stay in relationships for the wrong reasons many times, because the difference between animals and humans, animals don't cheat themselves. They don't cod themselves. They don't try and train themselves to be something different. We do as humans. So when we're in a bad relationship, or when we're thinking about what we should do with our life, or we're making some other decision, 
basically what happens is we teach ourselves bad things, coping mechanisms. So when we're in a relationship and it's a bad one and we're in it and people are saying, well, you know, it will get better or whatever, it probably won't. The only person you can change is yourself, not the other person. I'm glad you said that. Dr. Tiffany and I sit here all the time and talk about, well, we're not an expert in that area. And for our listeners, you've probably heard a lot of our episodes where we talk about mm-hmm. picking a specialist and an expert in the area that focuses on the subject you need help with. Do you find, doctor, that people try to get help from places they probably shouldn't get help from as it relates to narcissism <clears throat> and codependency? Yep. I've got a book coming up actually called The Twelve Apostles of Therapy. I'm interviewing um, 12 really, really, really experienced people in the therapy world that work with relationships and work with gatekeepers for mental health. What's happening is the training for psychologists and therapists and psychiatrists isn't, isn't being taught from the chalk phase, i.e. where we work with people. It's lots of theories, lots of ideas, but doesn't really help. So going to a family friend, uh, going to a family member, going to a child, going to a parent or something um, is okay, but Really, they've got a vested interest in what you're going to do, say, etc. So, so coming to somebody like me, or um, and I've got a three-year waiting list, so you, you wouldn't be able to get in on my list. Okay. But, <laughs> well, let me tell you something. <laughs> but, um, but it's, and I'm part-time now clinically, so. But the thing is, is to find someone that has an understanding of systemic therapy has an understanding of a person in their situation, in their environment, and then to help them find their voice, to change their voice. Lots of codependents, especially, and there are many of us around, I'm one, I have to triple check everything I do because I think, oh, you know, I, I can really get sucked into stuff. I'm not very streetwise. And it sounds strange hearing that from me, but I've, I've learned a lot over the last quarter of a century practicing, but we aren't streetwise when it comes to intimate relationships. We make mistakes. I would agree. What do you think about that, Dr. Tiffany? I, I, there's just so many thoughts in my head. You're mesmerized <laughs> by, by the comments. Well, I've always, you know, I think that uh, people, This is, I guess this is my question. Um, I think there's a lot of the public thinks, oh, that person's narcissistic or that person. Like, what actually constitutes, what would be the definition of a narcissistic person? Okay. Because I think there's a Glad very, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a misinformed. They've, they've, it was only actually... Uh, in 1980 that became formally part of DSM-3, which is the psychiatric manual. Um, Since then, we've got four different categories in narcissism, but in general for this program, it is somebody that had a horrific childhood or an elaborately spoilt childhood that in a bad childhood, a child develops their sense of safety in a fantasy world And in a really privileged um, childhood, the child thinks everything's about them. So that's how it's developed. Then when they get older and get into intimate relationships, that's where they repeat the charming self. They bring somebody into um, a wonderful dance. That's how I I describe it in my book. Uh, A wonderful dance, make them feel very, very special. But they're only there to serve the narcissist, the codependent. A narcissist will die without people. It needs a host. It needs somebody to feed off of. So 
that's basically a narcissist and they hook and they're very good at hooking they're very charming or they're very depressed and introvert there's there's, there's two different types different but, forms. but usually it is the so it's rare to, so is, is it safe to say it's rare to see a narcissist who is n- perfectly fine not being in a relationship and being alone correct okay that's what i thought yeah, it's odd. They, yeah. They, and, and if you look at the patterns of narcissists, and there's not enough research on this, that's what I'm doing at the moment. I'm actually creating narcissism to be part of domestic violence. I think that's great. And, and it really does need to be there because it's not criminal. DV is, but the, the narcissistic tendencies is not criminal. I, I would like to bring that through. But it can lead, it can lead Abs- to criminal absolutely, behavior. Absolutely. But the hooks, codependents are hooked. A narcissist will find the next host immediately Mm -hmm. if not overlap the one thing you have to understand is a narcissist is only done with you when they say they're done with you that's why they hang around they do stuff they they sabotage you they well they're bullies they're really bullies that's yeah in a nutshell bullies but really clever bullies very smart yeah absolutely Mm. very enlightening i think a lot of people hear the word narcissism and then they think about narcissistic can i just say something go ahead I saw a light go on inside of you, and that's why I do my work. When I say certain things and it clicks with somebody, that and something clicked with you there, and I saw it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I. I <laughs> yes. I deal with this on the daily. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, though, I'm I'm happy that you say that because you're coming out and being your true, your true personality is coming out, and not only you, I would imagine a lot of people deal with these kinds of issues every single day of their life. The problem I see from a family lawyer's perspective, I'm talking in the professional world right now, how do people properly handle either their identification that someone is a narcissist, or I was going to get to that in a minute about narcissistic Mm. behaviors that might not actually be a DSM diagnosis of narcissism. Mm. But first of all, acknowledging what the problem is and identifying the issue, would you agree with me, doctor, that that's the beginning of the stages to heal? I've never seen a narcissist in my office to work with me. I refuse to work with them. As same as paedophiles, I refuse to work with those. Um, the clinical definition, by the way, is that a narcissist, we can all have narcissistic tendencies. My one is yeah. the one with a head cold. I can have a broken leg. Uh, I can cut my arm off. I can work with it. Give me a head cold and I can't bear that fogginess and stuff. And yeah. the world's about me. Nobody right. can do any right. So you I'm, have the man I'm, cold. Yeah, it's a man absolutely. cold. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. <laughs> absolutely. You got it. So, not um, to be gender specific or anything <laughs> no, in this podcast. No, that's all men. That's not just you. That's a man cold. <laughs> so anyway, um, so... The the clinical definition is is long and but but it's the same it's, it's the same clause as um, paedophilia and that is an NPD a true narcissistic personality disorder has no remorse and will never apologise. Even more so. So that's you're, a problem. You're, you're clicking all over. Yeah. The place, so, you know, because here's the thing. I think that. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. You know why I brought him on? I want to bring this up right now. Because not only... I call you Michael because I know you on a personal level, but I'm going to call you Michael here. Mm -hmm. I know you're coming Mm -hmm. in here as a doctor to provide information, but you're one of the most realistic people I've ever met that is also a psychologist. Oh, great. And I say that because I'm talking the daughter of a psychologist, the middle child of a child psychologist. So I feel like I've kind of been an experiment for a a large portion of my Mm -hmm. life with my father and his ideas and all of that. But 
it's important for people to be real and mm-hmm. to understand that these are real issues and you don't have to struggle every single day and make your life a miserable hell. There are resources and there are professionals out there that can help guide you to some sort of healing and a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I have had this, anyone who knows me very well, I'm one of those people that can just read people well. And if someone walks in the room, I'm, I don't like them. Like, it's just like, it's an instantaneous, yeah. like there's just something off, I don't like it. And then five years later, told you so, you know, like it's mm. just, but I think that yeah. there's a difference in, you know, I think, and correct me, obviously I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, the diff, like you were saying how narcissists have to kind of be in relationship. There's a difference in that and being codependent versus genuinely enjoy being in a relationship because you genuinely enjoy being in a relationship, not because you're dependent on having your hooks in someone to be mm-hmm. in a relationship, right? Because I'm a very relationship driven, sorry, relationship driven person. I enjoy spending time with people. Mm -hmm. I enjoy, you know, doing activities with other people. I don't mind being alone at all. I could be alone all day, every day and sit in my house, but I would prefer to be in a relationship Mm -hmm. and, you know, enjoy life with another person. And I think a lot of people would say that that's a codependent behavior, but I don't see it that way because I don't find myself to be dependent on the other person. On the contrary. Codependent is very different. Uh, Codependent means that we are in fear of losing someone. Oh, yes. For yeah, several I'm, different I'm the antithesis reasons. of that. And, that's, and, and it's <laughs> oh, like, yeah. we will always be alone. We are a bad person. There's actually a list in the book. Um, really, a codependent will think that we're lucky to have them. Oh, we're, wow. we're fortunate. Um, and, and don't forget, I'm saying it because I've done a lot of work on myself and I've worked for over a quarter of a century with people. But when you're in a relationship and you're scared, you're scared. Right. And you, we have to take that very seriously. And everyone's in a different position. One person might be scared because they, they have their tools shared in the garden. And she, don't forget, there's no gender specifics. Right. That women can be narcissists just as much as men. Um, you know, I, I really love my tool shed and, and I don't want to leave my kids. Or it could be, well, um, I won't have such a good shopping budget. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah or it yeah. could be nobody likes me. I'm ugly. So the degree of fear is different for yeah. each person. And it, but it's very real. But it's very real. Very real. And very it shouldn't real. be undermined in any way no. how different people Never. look at it and view it. Never. When somebody walks into my office, I take them for face value and I'm with them empathically at that moment on. That's important. Mm-hmm. Having that ability to It's connect interesting you is said important. about my, my being genuine. The BBC interviewed me and, and people interview me because I make very complicated things like toilet roll. I don't, I don't talk the professional geeky stuff. And the most important thing with my patients is that's exactly what I do. And the book took three years to edit this one because we wanted to make it understandable for people with dyslexia. We wanted to make it easy for people that don't normally read. We wanted it to be, I call it a toilet book, because you can sit in the toilet and just open it up at random pages and learn stuff. That's great, yeah. Um, and the contributors, um, I can't say enough about them. They, they have all have busy schedules, and they did a great job. And they didn't mind us cutting, 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 and changing and cutting and making it simple. So uh, I thank the contributors. I want to read something in the intro of your book because there was, I read the whole book. There was some moments in this book that I read and I actually had to put the book down for a minute and close it and just ponder for a couple minutes because I was thinking about how this affects my life, how it affects my clients' lives and then my friends and family that are dealing with this. And it really did provide some light for me to help understand the situation. And 
a good way to help people. So I want to just, I'm quoting you, mm -hmm. which I like to do. It says, this, and I'm talking about this book. In this second edition, I have placed even more focus on the hidden suffering codependent. Codependents are critical to the understanding of narcissism because an NPD can only exist as part of a relationship. They hop from host to host each time they deplete every ounce of what they wish to take. Remember, they are only done with you when they believe they are. They will stalk you and try to damage you in any way they can. If something is wrong in your relationship, if you are hurting and you can't understand why, this book is written for you. I literally got like chills when I read it again. Doesn't sound bad, does it? It sounds pretty good. <laughs> with an American accent, nonetheless. Yeah, I can't speak with the British See, accent even if it's, I try. It's, like, it's funny because, you know, you can't help but read a book like this, I think. And you start thinking like, is this me? Is this not? You know, and, and I'm, I'm, she's reading this and I'm like, I actually feel like I'm the antithesis of that. I will drop your ass in half a second if I'm not happy. Gonzo, like, I'm not sticking around. I'm not going to deal with it. I'll work on it for like a few months. and if, mm -mm. Because you can't mm -hmm. change people, like no. you said. No. You can change your reaction to people but you cannot change people we can it also is what change is. ourselves yes we yes. can we can change our cognition that's what therapy is for we change the way we think we change the way we behave and we get our voice our true voice i um did shamanism training in australia in the outback and an aborigine said to me michael if ever you throw the truth out on a boomerang you don't care what comes back I like Very that. powerful. I like and that. And I, I use that a lot. And it, it's something that changed my world, that one statement from a random person in the outback of Australia. Random. The that truth, is a, the a truth will set you free. Now, yeah. when you wrote this book, I and one of the things I want to mention is there's a tremendous amount of, um, I forget the, the way to describe it, but you give a lot of examples of mm. issues going on in relationships. And I, I'm sure, that, as you wrote in the book, the names are changed yes. to protect the identity. Oh, gosh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Um, but the concept of outlining these case studies, as you refer to them, is actually helpful for mm -hmm. me, mm. for me personally, and I'm sure a lot of listeners and readers of this book, because it helps outline this is the issue and this is how it's actually applicable mm. in an everyday life. Shall I tell you the secret of that? Yes. I have mild dyslexia. You do? So I had a really hard time conceiving, um, comprehending paragraphs working things out. Yes, I have five degrees and I'm doing well now, but I still have trouble. I still have, I still have to spend a little more, more time in comprehending something. And what I do, which most people with dyslexia do, is I get images and pictures and, and things. And I thought, how am I going to make these complicated things very personal for people to see an example? Mm -hmm. And if I see an example, I'm okay. If I don't see an example, I'm not okay. So, and I think most people are like that. Very few people can do didactic learning where you learn everything off the face and you can repeat, etc. Like and Sheldon on, yeah. on the Big Bang Theory. Yeah, and black but and white text mo all day long. Most of us long. need a context. Most of us need to see somebody else do something or, or we follow. It, you know, it's a kind of management. So that's what comes it's, through the book. It's, it's helpful. And I, I want to tell everyone that there's different subjects, obviously, that fall under the umbrella of narcissism and codependency, but it's helpful because those individual case studies shed light. And I, I'm almost positive everybody's going to relate to one mm. or two or maybe most mm. of the, the case studies. But I wanted to ask you, where did the case studies come from? They came from my practice. Um, they're speckled together. They're not one or two or four people, they are speculative. Black Widow is a case. Um, I'm still working on it now. I'm part of the legal team. It's an um, interesting one. <clears throat> they've been heavily 
but it's a real one. You know, there were almost three deaths because of it, and millions and millions and millions in 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 question. And it was a hard case to go through. Um, I had to up my clinical uh, supervision because sometimes the the matter was really disturbing. I I was driving to Walmart one Sunday and I had to talk this person down from a cliff. Oh, man. And that's the codependent. But this is wonderful because, as I mentioned in the book, I've got codependents that come to me in a wheelchair because they jumped seven stories and survived. I've got people without their legs, people without an arm because they tried to kill themselves. Never underestimate what codependency can do in the wrong hands. And codependents are kind, loving, nurturing people and kind people if they put that kindness in the wrong hands taken advantage of yeah to the extreme levels yeah from what you just said i mean absolutely but the studies um i just wanted to mention you did work in england but you also have done work i work around the world everywhere Mm -hmm. i mean is there any place you really haven't been i could name the world but i know you've been all over where haven't i been is there Um, any place you haven't been antarctica and where i think we're going we were going to go this this uh winter but we can't oh okay because of covid so oh. antarctica we want to see the penguins damn covid again <laughs> screwing up that trip to antarctica yeah. that's, that's a crazy part can i veer off of the book for a second sure i want to ask you kind of i i am um, i'm a big fan of the i brought it up gummy bears that too you've been yeah, eating them. Chewing. they're so good they're that's so yummy they're not soaked in vodka um not today <laughs> No vodka, guys. This these, is a lunchtime podcast. These uh, personality tests, like the 16 personalities, where mm-hmm. it's like, so mine was an ENFJ. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting. I actually was like, one thing I did from a psychological standpoint where I did it, I'm like, that is 1,000% me. What do you feel about these? Just so um, people know, like, this was like, it says ENFJ is extroverted, intuitive, feeling, and judging. And then each one of these is you're either extroverted or introverted, you're either feeling or, I don't, I don't know. There's What's like the two, test you're talking about? So our audience knows. Um, it's it called a Meyer, 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 yeah. I would say it depends on what you're looking for. If you look at a horoscope, if you look at personality tests, if you look at the DSM-5, if you look at an encyclopedia, if you look at uh, a medical journal for dummies, or you Google symptoms. Google, yeah. You can come up with a lot of things. Right. So I think if it's in safe hands, it's okay, but a test is there to talk about the analysis of the results mm-hmm. not to sit on the results because it depends on how you're feeling in that moment right we have depre- you know hospital anxiety depression tests etc and we can take them with somebody and get one reading yeah, but we, right. we really have to take them over six six right. weeks because the person's never the same you can get them on a good day a bad day etc etc so you can't stand I think, standardized testing i think that i think that. i think they're okay for a guide um, like meditation is okay for a guide and Reiki is good for a guide and horoscopes are good for a guide and I, I believe in spirituality um, going for a measurement of who we are I think is safe if we not take it with a pinch of salt but kind of look at it in the context of our lives but do you do you believe though that there are if we're talking about relationships since that's really what the book's about do you do you believe that there are certain personality types that unequivocally will never can never mesh with a different type of personality like do you ever see two people and like they really want to love each other but it's just never gonna freaking work my other half's a lawyer <laughs> 
and he takes the emotion out of an argument. I put it right back right. in. <laughs> but, but he's a Cocktail great... Cocktail hour at his no, house oh, yeah. is going to be cool well, when I get to, over but there. To, to your point, maybe two of you wouldn't work. Maybe two of him wouldn't. You see what I'm saying? Like, Do you ever, do you ever come, come across a couple where you're just like, it's just not, not going to work? It's just... You mean in like couples therapy? In yeah. Your office? Six, Six Feet Under had a wonderful two parents that were psychologists of the leading lady role. I can't remember their names, but they were both psychologists. And it was painful to watch. I, I, I agree with you, but I don't think, you know, I think if we were put in an island stripped of all of our titles and our ideas and our clothes and the way we look, etc., you know, then yeah. then there's a chemical. There's actually a very interesting um, study, and I, it doesn't take me long to tell you, but it's really amazing. No, talk, tell us about it. Um, Families and How to Survive Them were writ- was written by John Cleese and Robin Skinner. John Cleese is the famous act- actor in Monty Python, etc. People don't realize why there was only one season of Forty Towers ever written. That's because he had a nervous breakdown. He was a drunk. He lost his wife, and he went to see one of me in London. And he found it so helpful over three years that he wrote a book called Families and How to Survive Them with Robin Skinner. They collaborated. It's a, it's a, great, it's a great book. But it's about, the first chapter is 90 pages, but it teaches you what I learned over three years of systemic training. If there was an experiment conducted, what we have behind our face, we, we have this role we present, we're presenting roles today. Behind this, this role, we have a, a reality. We have a, a, a something that was processed over the years, we developed, etc., etc. Our shop front window is what we present. There are many roles, like Shakespeare said, you know, we, we, you know we've got a job, we've got a dad role, we've got a, a daughter role, we've got all these different roles we do. In an experiment in the uh, 60s, 70s, a group of people were put in a room in a university setting and they were asked to walk around and make pairs without any communication at all. No body language, no voice, nothing. Just walk around when they felt comfortable with one other person to stand with them. And most of the room did that. And then those twos, the pairs, were asked to walk around the room and stand again, no communication, and stand next to another pair they felt really, really comfortable with. And then at the end of that experiment, they were asked to sit down, the fours, and talk about their backgrounds. They were identical backgrounds. The ones with divorced parents were together. The ones with sexual abuse were together. The four that weren't chosen were all adopted. Really? Wow. And that shows that there's this unconscious... Wow. That's powerful. It it really gives me tingles every time I talk about it. Yeah. But it is powerful. And Jung, the collective unconscious, Jung studied people's dreams around the world. We all have this underlying kind of energy. That's what happens in relationships. We're attracted to somebody because they might seem independent or feisty or whatever. And we think, oh, I like that person. But it's actually the person behind it we're getting attracted to. That's really Mm -hmm. interesting. Now, to um, parallel that to my work and, you know, dealing with divorces, I find it interesting that a lot of couples that are, you know, I think it's important and healthy for couples that are going through problems to see a therapist. I always recommend talk to someone, Mm -hmm. and I I feel like I should record myself. I'm not a psychologist, quote, unquote. You need to call a psychologist. Mm -hmm. You're more expensive. Yeah, I might be. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a three-year wait list, though. I don't know. I don't know. It depends. But at the same time, I find a lot of people, while they're going through a very difficult, hostile divorce, um, contested on multiple levels, 
they tend to find camaraderie in other people that are definitely going through the same issues that they are. And sometimes they form relationships, you mm -hmm. know, um, romantic relationships with people that are going through the same thing. And usually I find after the fact, because I try not to dive into significant other relationships when I got to deal with the one client mm -hmm. and they're divorced, I want to get them divorced. Yeah. But I find that they're similar interests, similar personalities, completely opposite than the person that they married. Mm -hmm. And I always sit there and wonder, is that because maybe these people never should have been married oh. to begin with? You're talking, or, about, you're talking about dogs and humans now. I guess. Yeah, there you go. But see, this is my practical self. We've got about 10 hours today, right? Yeah, yeah. We're but, here all um, day. Tiffany does not have to go takes, back to work takes, or anything. Takes, I wish. Takes, My clients can it. wait. It takes, it takes a puppy six weeks to get real when it's in your house. So at first, everyone loves a puppy. They want to take it for a walk. They and then the puppy's being really good and being nice. And then the puppy starts peeing everywhere and starts pushing the boundaries. And then the family is saying, well, I walked him yesterday. I don't want to walk him today. And then it goes on. Yep. It takes six weeks to get real with a dog in a family unit. It takes 18 months to two years for two humans to get real with each other, living together. 18 months to two years. That's, that's when somebody starts to un... You're talking about cohabitation. Mm -hmm. That some people still in and 2020 are like, what? I never lived with this person. Yeah. And I'm sitting here like, holy but my, cow, my you never lived with them? I've been very privileged and humble to know people that are in 60, 70-year-old relationships. And sometimes it's, it's a sad setting where it's a funeral. Sometimes it's a wedding and the, the, the grandparents, great-grandparents are there. And I always ask them, what is the secret to the longitude of your relationship? And they always say compromise. It's the one thing that said compromise. However, in an unhealthy, toxic relationship, there is no compromise. Right. The codependent has to do all the compromising and the narcissist will take, take, take. So that's the difference. So Completely different. So when you're in, in a divorce court, and I work with law firms worldwide, I, I, some of the really smart law firms invite me in to work on cases with them because it's not that they're not billing as much it just helps you need a mental health therapist you need an expert absolutely it helps, it helps. I agree with you um, and so if we if we are a code if there's a codependent listening to this and you won't know you're a codependent because that's kind of a label that's bashed around but if you're in a relationship and you're more unhappy most of the time than happy if your partner, whether you're lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, it knows no boundaries. If your partner can make your day great or bad, it's a sign to get out. Toxic. Toxic. Well, in the book you talk, I know there's multiple chapters about this, but I just wanted to highlight on a couple of them. You talk about... Um, one of the subjects is what are the first signs of a problem developing in a codependent relationship with a narcissist? So I wanted to see if you could take a couple minutes and share some signs that you've seen throughout your years of practice and your case studies that are, you know, big trigger points for a person to acknowledge and then hopefully get some help in that area. The keys would be, and this is just off the top of my head because I haven't read that book for a long time. <laughs> the keys I did. off the top. I of read my, it. The keys off the top of my head would be, you never really get an apology unless it's to their game. They'll apologize if they need to get back in your pants or whatever. Um, or your purse, maybe. Yeah, whatever. Um, you seem to be apologizing a lot. Is another one. 
um, something's being withheld from you. You're being punished like a child. Um, there's a very big difference between how they are in public with others and how you are alone. Um, when a child comes along, if it went severely bad, it's because the narcissist isn't the center of attention. Um, games and gaslighting, making you believe that the cup they dropped in the kitchen was your fault. Right. And that's a simple example. The cup you dropped in the kitchen was your fault and you're apologizing and clearing it up. And wait for this. <laughs> if you think this is just for dumb people being codependents, I was a codependent myself. A patient that really shocked me in London came into my office. She was dressed in a Chanel suit, stunning, polished, super successful, very wealthy, and she looked like she could have just stepped off the front page of a Vogue magazine. And we had a couple of sessions, and then one session she just lifted her skirt up a little bit on her left leg, and I said, do you want to talk to me about it? And she had cigarette burns from her husband all over the top of her legs, and nobody could see it. Oh, wow. But that was his punishment. Wow. And it might shock you listening to this. This is reality. This is everything, so right? So this woman that needed nobody, oh, yeah. <laughs> she, she was terrified of losing the deadbeat she'd been carrying for years and years and years. Unfortunately, it's not a happy ending because she didn't continue therapy. Oh, wow. And she's probably still with him now. Wow. Still mm. dealing with all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it knows no boundaries. You can be the smartest person. And that's something I do hear from my patients over the years is nobody else treats me this way. My friends think I'm great. I have great relationships. It's only my partner that treats me this way. And on healed cases, when people are healed and they've realized and they're then triple-checking themselves. And so it does happen. We've done some, oh, yes, I, I help codependents. That's my life's calling. When it does work out, I say to them, they do go into a new relationship. The biggest response I get is, I like who I am in this relationship. That's, that's success. Success of a codependent moving on to a healthy relationship is, I really like who I am in this relationship. Because they're owning who they are. Right, they're they've, realizing they've, it. They've retrained themselves, yeah. And that's, that's my reward moment. And that's that comes from therapy. Yeah. Years oh, of gosh. therapy, I'm sure. It depends. It can be six weeks, six months, a year. People are different. They need things differently. Oh, I can imagine. I wanted to read something else that you put in the book. And it's, this is at the very beginning of the book, but I'm quoting you again. To be in a significant relationship with someone with NPD is to be in a very confined and extremely lonely place. As a codependent, you need to know that it is fear and need that are keeping you safe in this familiar dance or dynamic. But fear and need will not keep you happy, content, or emotionally safe in the long run. And then you say, even as, even as I'm writing this, I can feel the deep, stomach-churning despair the chest-tightening panic, and the dark loneliness that accompanies the hopeless nature of being around this danger. Powerful words, doctor. Mm. That when someone's reading this, I'm sure they literally get those goosebumps, you know, on their arms. I, as I just, I got a lump in my throat just hearing you say that. Oh, I, you did? 
and you're the author. Mm. Imagine someone that didn't even write the book. Well, that's the important thing. I have clinical supervision every month. I have a couple of hours a month. I increase it sometimes because I, I don't work with mild things usually. I work with quite severe cases or people need... The now, really big issues? Well, part of my work is the clinical. I do very, very small part-time. Most of my work is a consultancy where I work with lawyers or people that need some intensive work, and they, they will fly me into their country. To like on them. a short-term basis type yes, stuff? Yes, yes, okay. yeah, yeah, to do a formulation or work something out. But That's your jet-setting life, right? It is, it is. Um, and I've worked by Skype for a decade because a lot of my people are in the film industry or the, the music business or, or their CEOs or, or their, you know, their people that have to move around. So to keep the essence of therapy with me, they would, they would work by te telephone 20 years ago. And I moved straight into video audio as soon as I could. So it is, it is powerful, it is effective. The one thing I, I tell people is, if you're going to leave somebody, you need to leave when it's the right time for you. Knee-jerk reactions don't work for people. You have to work it out and plan. So please don't listen to this. Pack your bags and leave. Yeah, important um, unless, point. Unless it's domestic violence, um, and then you need to call the police and leave. Yes, Get agreed. yourself safe. Um, but there's a time... There's a time for everyone to think about, is this a healthy relationship? Or are we going through a bad time? Or could I, could I find peace somewhere else? And success in a relationship is different for all of us. One person in I a would relationship agree. would be very happy with X, Y, and Z. Somebody else wants A, B, and C. Sometimes sex is very important and other things aren't. Sometimes conversation is more important. So you can never judge yourself on somebody else's relationship. Every relationship between people are unique. That's why it's very difficult in this world of therapy because we have systems, we have training, we have ideas. But nothing's binary, nothing's black and white. And then you have society's image of what's considered a good relationship. Oh, yes. Which is I, want to, I wanted to be adopted by a little house on the prairie. Oh, my, yeah. Many years. <laughs> I love little Laura. <laughs> she was so sweet. I was little Laura. <laughs> <laughs> that was you? Okay. Maybe that's why I like you. I remember watching that show as you know, a young child. I also remember mm. um, Leave It to Beaver. You know, and I, I remember sitting in our, um, uh, our family room. I was telling Tiffany in a couple episodes ago. We, my family was a little different, I think, than a lot of families. My parents wanted us to have a very traditional life. So we didn't have TV whenever we wanted. Like, we would have dinner. This is when we were younger. Mm -hmm. And then we would all sit down and pick a show together. I mean, who does that, you know? This was years ago, you know, 80s and stuff. But early 90s when my little sister was born. But we would all pick a show and then we would watch it together. And my mom would make us watch Leave It to Beaver. Mm. And now, you know, as a 41-year-old woman practicing family law for, you know, I've been a lawyer for 15 years, but practicing family law for 11, I look at these people and I hear these stories. And in my brain, I start thinking about Leave mm. it to Beaver. Yeah. You know, like this is not real. It was a TV show back then and it's not yeah. real now. And people you know associate comfort, that. My comfort thing before I go to bed, if I've had a really difficult day, I watch the Golden Girls. It makes oh, everything easy again. I love the Golden it Girls. It makes everything simple. And it's just those 10 minutes, even half an hour. I, I just watch and everything drips away, and it's it's nice. That's uh, great. There's some there's some good there's good there's some good escapism in TV. But when we're given this socialization of, especially for gay people, lesbians, trans, sure, you know, there are very few stereotypes that are real. 
I agree. I would agree so, with you. Um, and if we get these families that are polished and they've got housekeepers and they've got this and that, and there's never a bad word, and the biggest trauma is that the dress length is wrong. Yeah. It's not real. It's not real. You know what's funny, too? It brings me to another point. I want to get back to narcissism in a second, but... All these Disney movies that have come out, um, my girls are little, so we're really into Disney in our house. And I've seen your girls. Yeah, you know my <laughs> girls, yeah. Princesses, for sure. They are. So the cartoons, you know, of the Disney movies, and now the trend, I think, from Disney um, producers is to make the real-life movies based upon, you know, the cartoons. And they're very different. You know, they try to modernize the old cartoons, mm-hmm. but the roles and the messages that are being sent from the Disney movies are the same. Mm-hmm. And I give them a lot of credit for carrying that over. But now, Tiffany and I, last week, we were talking about social media and effects of, you know, online things, which isn't our subject today. But now what I'm seeing is on YouTube, these people are creating the Disney princesses when they were in the movies. And then they're trying to create their personalities as if they were living in today's world. Mm-hmm. And I remember one, my daughter was very obsessed with this one picture of Mulan. She loves Mulan. And Mulan, they, they, um, Fast forward in Mulan's age as if she was a teenager because she was a young girl, you know, in the movie. She was like 16 or 17 in this video on YouTube and she had her nose pierced and all these earrings and tattoos all over her body. And she was defiant and rude and just, you know, a very, you know, difficult human being to be around based upon this picture. And my daughter looked at me, she's seven, and she said, do you think if Mulan was a teenager and I met her, she'd act like that? And I'm just like closing, you know, we closed the laptop, we put it away. And I'm like, we need to talk about this mm. because it's a view, you know, and it's, it's an image. And I, I think it's very difficult in 2020, especially raising children, to see those images because people associate perception mm-hmm. with reality. Mm. And it's a danger. And I'm sure it's, uh, I see it on the, the end of families falling apart. And you see it probably as you're working to either keep families together or help people find you know, mm. some some form of um, peace. healthiness and peace, peace whatever peace. that means, right? Whatever, whatever success is in a family, for sure. But it's hard. You know, I think it's hard for people to see and, and identify with narcissism and identify with themselves as either being a codependent or finding, you know, finding their way and finding their, their way out of such a, mm. a dark place. And I don't think necessarily, even though I practice family, I don't always think divorce is the way to end it. It certainly ends the the relationship itself, but if you're a parent, you have that person in your mm-hmm. life until the child's 18 or 19 yeah. if they haven't graduated. So what would you say in a situation like that where the person does, in fact, get out of the relationship, but they still have to act as a co-parent role with, you know, a narcissistic, a, nar- a person who's narcissistic and then a codependent? Make sure your lawyer gets everything dotted and crossed. There you go. Every single bit of it. In writing. I have, I have a, a case right now where, where the husband is being appalling to his wife and the mother of his two children. And I, I'm working with the lawyer. I, I do this consulting with lawyers. And I've said, alimony, child support, etc. don't do it. Okay. Get, get bought out and they've got the money fortunately so like a lump sum situation buy up because there'll be games forever forever and you never want your daughters to have to go to him for anything and you don't want games to be played for the next seven years sure and it happens it happens on a day-to-day life and that's why that's why i'm trying to get well i'm not trying to i am i'm developing some research um at the moment to make NPD part of DV. 
so narcissistic personality disorders part of domestic violence because You're about in the we know it's we know it, absolutely itself. okay because we know it's there but we're going to try and tag it on to DV because it's already there sure rather than reinvent the wheel just add it into that that mix because we know it's there we know these people are like they are they're serial people and they do all this bad stuff and they're preying on victims and we can't criminalize it it's a very interesting area because mm. i i mean i i deal with domestic violence with my family law clients i also dealt with it as a prosecutor i prosecuted domestic violence cases for a, a little over a year and now i deal with restraining orders and injunctions and it's interesting you say that because when you look at the actual black and white language under the statute of the domestic violence statute which criminal is obviously different from a restraining order which is for our listeners civil case um you know the Nobody's going to be arrested mm -hmm. for a restraining order mm -hmm. unless it's violated. But the actual self, you know, the beginning of the case is a civil case. But the point is that you have to fit into a specific category in order for even an ex parte injunction to be granted on its face, which means a judge didn't even, he didn't have a hearing. A judge just reviewed the paperwork. He just lost me totally. I lost you? Oh, I probably lost a lot of people. Le legal spill. Well, you're talking about what is domestic violence. Yes. An actual definition of domestic violence. Is it somebody putting their hands on you without permission? Or emotional and financial abuse. It's, it's gone further, which is good. But it it's is. very difficult to prove it. Oh, my gosh. That's a whole other case. Very difficult yeah, to prove it's, it. Yeah, it's difficult to prove as it's, well. It's interesting. You've been 11 years in family law. I... I support lawyers, a few lawyers in key positions around the world that work with tragedy. And I wish that the Law Society would develop a debriefing requirement. So each month or every three months, because GPs do it, um, we do it as psychologists, we have to debrief somewhere to make sure we're practicing okay, we're not getting bitter, we're not getting cold, we're not getting over-compassionate, et cetera, et cetera. You guys don't have anything. You're meant to just suck it up. And unless... You know, it's a lot of it's a lot of tragedy. You're involved with children. You're involved with all different kinds of relationship breakups, and you know the law, which is so important. That's your role. But they are going to bring you into their argument all the time because right. they need someone to say yes, you're right, or no, you're wrong. And that's not your job. Your no. job is to say, well, this is the law. And this is what we can do. And, well, you, you know, the first thing I say to a family or a couple is if there's any DV here, you need to tell me right now. And if you don't tell me the truth, then we're not going to be able to do any work together. Yeah, you're done. And then if there is DV continuing, there's a big research uh, conducted at East London University in England. And uh, it, it changed us. We can't work with people in domestic violence situations unless they're separated because we're condoning the domestic violence then. Absolutely. Lawyers do continue working with people where there's domestic violence because you've got no Some choice. Lawyers. And you've got, and Some well, you've got, lawyers. You've got no ethics to say don't. And the police are there to do that job, and right. still, but but you must see some horrific situations. Oh, we do, and, and and just from a, a a practice standpoint, from my own firm, which is not based upon a rule of ethics, I won't meet with two people even if they're getting along at the same time. Mm. I always tell the other side to get their own attorney, and I won't even meet with people even when they're they've already agreed on the terms of the settlement agreement. I always I make the other side that I'm not representing. But you know, that's another quality of a narcissist. Get their own lawyer. What? Another quality of a narcissist is they're always above the law. Oh, yes. They don't follow always. the law. They don't follow the law. Always. And they get away with it. Some of them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, they, they do. Some of them. I think also when you talk about narcissism and codependency, sometimes it's hard as someone that is in the category of a codependent to ask for help. Do you agree with that? 
again, they have to find the right time. It always takes us different amounts of time, but and if and friends and family, they they generally don't want to stir the pot. So a lot of friends and family will say, "Oh, will it get better?" or you know, you'll be okay, or it's not that bad, or we only see the charming side of it. And a codependent will feel very alone because no one sees them. No one sees the abuse. It's a very secret world, and the narcissist will keep it that way and will start to isolate the codependent too. It's another trick they have. They start saying, oh, I don't really like to go out with Alison, and I don't really like to go out with... Paul and oh we've been there already and and it, it starts to give messages to the codependent that's trying to please the narcissist and make everything right and everything because perfect. they probably still want to go and they, out they, but they stop they stop going places they stop they stop you stop going places yeah so they're even more isolated not making phone calls because oh you're on the phone again oh my mm. gosh so do you think throughout your practice and this book and the previous book that you've written have you found success in and I don't mean to measure success by, you know, winning or losing, losing, but do you find that you've been able to connect with people and help people understand these issues? Absolutely. Yeah. And is that part of the reason why you're continuing this type of work? Or um, more than that? I'm sure there's more reasons as well. It's a calling. I was going to be a priest as a teenager. That was my, my a Catholic priest. That was my understanding. That's the path I would follow. I was very religious. I went to church a lot. I went to a, a religious school. Um, but then my scientific brain... And other things at 14 realized, you know, I can't do the demigod thing anymore. I can't, <laughs> you know, so I, I moved over to science. And I, 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 it's I, a big switch yeah, from I've, religion. I've, I've read encyclopedias since I could read. So, um, and I had problems with understanding, but these 10 encyclopedias we had had snippets. And they were very easy to go in and look and read and do and, and understand. And so I would say that some people come for a short period of time and learn enough and go away. And then they might come back four years later and say, do you know what? I'm now ready. I, I understand what you were saying. It took some time and life yeah. experiences. Other people, they might need a good three, four years worth of work because they are separating out. And there's a lot of bereavement going on. There's a lot of games. And don't forget the narcissist isn't done until they're done. They make the rules. Yeah. One of the, I just wanted to quote a couple more things from your book. And then we'll have to wrap up and maybe do a part two with you when you get back from your, your trip. Um, I, I found this interesting in part of the um, book. I forgot which chapter it was. But you identify narcissistic, I'm saying it wrong, NPD. Uh, define that for me. Narcissistic personality disorder. Narcissistic personality disorder. That's yep. the DSM-5 diagnosis yes, for what we're talking disorder. about? Yes, yep. Okay, so it falls under personality disorders yep. in the category. Okay, because you had mentioned before there's different levels of yep. narcissism. and the different DSM types. Different types. Four different types. Yeah. DSM-5 finally got it right. You think? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> How can you put such a complex human nature in four categories? It's very difficult. That's it. Yeah. it that's all you get, though, right? Mm -hmm. You have to just keep yeah. it those. But I want to I end on this note, and then I want to ask you one other thing. Um, just in conclusion here, you talk about signs. And I think these are important because you can read case studies, you can talk to friends and family, but these are... This little chart, I made a chart um, based upon the book, and I think it's interesting for people to be able to articulate some form of understanding of what they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So the first one you say, the first sign is confusion. Second one you said is lack of humility. Then third one was they react with anger sometimes. Another one is commanding attention. Another one you wrote was little emotional connection, tending to be operating, operating on the surface. 
Um, you also mentioned that empathy is their symbol, love is alien to them, and they can put on an act to cover up this type of deficiency. Fake, yeah. Fakeness. Mm -hmm. That's probably a better way yeah. to describe it, right? Calling and texting your partner all the time, which is a sign of controlling behavior. Then you, you wrote, if no attention, if they're not getting enough attention, they could react in anger or a depressive state of mind. They act out. Acting yeah. out. Mm -hmm. Think of a six-year-old. Oh, maybe a seven-year-old too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Definitely a four-year-old though. Yeah. There's no direct communication. It's, it's acting out. Yeah. Acting out. I'm seeing themselves as above everyday concerns. And the law. And the law. Mm. And then lastly, you wrote in there, deliberately creating problems to give themselves attention. That's a big one. Mm -hmm. I could take that factor right there and probably put it into about seven cases that I have right now, which I know that factor on itself is not the only way. Don't forget it's also gaslighting. They're bringing, gaslighting. bringing problems to, to steer you off course and confuse you. You have a you whole a chapter about gaslighting. Oh, gosh, I read. yeah, it's fantastic. Watch, the, watch the movie. I haven't watched the movie yeah. yet, but I, I'm going to because I don't even think people really, the general public, understands what gaslighting is. It is twisting someone's mind so much they believe they are responsible for everything. It's training. And that it's takes like time, right? It's not just going to happen one or two times. Codependents are very trainable. Interesting. Yeah. I wish judges could understand some of these subjects, but that's a topic probably for well, another day. Sarah Zabel, the judge who contributed to the, the, the book, She's, she was a family uh, circuit court judge. I could talk to her forever about our fields and our work and how it crossed over and you know she's an amazing soul and she did some really good work and she gets it she gets it and there are very few of those out there unfortunately. oh yes yes you know yeah. I, I try to point out when i find that i have a very professional moment with the judicial system specifically from attorneys and you know clients themselves dealing with judges because mm -hmm. it's rare unfortunately in our day and age it's rare they i have, wish it happened they, more often and they have such a tough job in our day and age i would never want to be a judge i'm just going to mm. put that out there <laughs> i like being an attorney that that i like well we thank you so much for coming it's a pleasure to be here appreciate your knowledge your advice your opinions and i want to tell everyone Please go out and buy this book, Narcissism and Codependency, Walking You Away from Toxic Relationships. And you can find the book on Amazon, Kindle, Kindle Apple, Apple, mm -hmm. and you can go right to your website and mm -hmm. purchase it directly from your website, yep. correct? Which is? Uh, www.michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, Padraig, P-A-D-R-A-I-G, Acton, A-C-T-O-N.com. Is there any other way for our listeners to contact you if they have questions or comments? Um, I have a team of people behind the scenes that help me because, um, as you imagine, I'm, I'm a consultant, I, I do part-time clinical, I write, etc. So the best way is to read it. There's a contact form on the website. That's the best way to get in touch with me I because they're, they're funnel, they'll funnel things to me and, and work it out. So absolutely. So I hope everybody reads the book, go and buy the book. And if you have any questions for us or you have specific questions for Dr. Acton, let us know, and you can comment on our Instagram page, our Facebook page, or you can email us directly at confidentchaospodcast at gmail.com. And everyone, make sure you all stay healthy and stay grounded. Super nice being here.